Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Ready or not, it's pumpkin spice season. And according to data from Nielsen, which shows sales of pumpkin-flavored products in the last week of August were up 10% from the prior year, this could be a blockbuster season for the trend. This is great news for consumers who love the flavor and for companies that cater to their ostensibly insatiable desire for all things pumpkin. However, for those who are over pumpkin or who are never into it in the first place, This time of year can be a bit boring flavor-wise, but it doesn't have to be, because believe it or not, there are other emerging flavors besides pumpkin. According to Dax Schaefer, the corporate executive chef and director of culinary innovation at the custom spice blend and functional ingredient supplier Asensia, there is literally a whole world of emerging flavors that are captivating consumers. And while some may require a bit of outreach and education to convince consumers to take that first bite, Schaefer says once they do, these are flavor profiles that are guaranteed to keep them coming back. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Schaefer shares what flavors and cuisines are gaining traction among consumers and how manufacturers can incorporate them into their products. He even throws in a few quote-unquote dark horses that could be winners farther in the future. The first big trend that Schaefer is following is the evolution of the super high heat trend that was all the rage a few years ago, but which is becoming something more flavorful. So while he says consumers haven't completely cooled on high heat, they are looking for something more complex and deeper that will keep them coming back for more. What's happening here is back when you did that going up in the hot hockey get, you weren't getting repeat sales. Really what that was is how hot can it get? I'm gonna put it on YouTube, I'm oh my god, I'm eating I'm you know, spitting fire and, that, and that's what was happening. Those are millennials and they wanna try it, but I mean really, what are you doing? Yeah, you just oh I did try it, it was oh my god, it was screaming hot, but you're not going back and buying more and more. As manufacturers we don't wanna sell one time. We wanna sell many, many times. So you've noticed like the sriracha, that's hot with flavor. Um, National hot is hot with flavor. So uh, we're okay with the hot people like the hot as long as there's a reason behind it. It's not just like, oh my God, my mouth is on fire. I'm sweating at the top of my head. You know, so that's kind of where it's going. So the flavor is going to, there's cayenne and, and sweet. Okay, so usually brown sugar is the sweet part of it. Cayenne is the hot part of it. Um, in this case, we have a little maple syrup on there as well. But um, it's usually a hot and sweet. The, the hot is usually cayenne. Okay, when you're talking natural hot, okay? When you talk like sriracha, that's actually a red jalapeno. So, I mean, there's all these different types of heats, and every pepper has a different flavor. While most consumers already know about sriracha, they might not be as familiar with Nashville hot, which Schaefer predicts will take off in the coming years, not only because it brings the heat and a complex flavor profile, but also because it's an engaging story, which can pull in consumers who want to know more about where their food is coming from. So the best one in Nashville, so there's Prince's Hot Chicken, that is the original, okay? They started about 60, almost 100 years ago, and the guy's name was um, Thornton Prince Jr., and he was a really, I guess he was a really good-looking guy, but, like, he had a wandering eye, so he'd go out at night, and he'd come back, and his girlfriend was really upset with him because he'd been out all night, so when he came back, 
she went to bed. She obviously knew he'd been out all night. So the next morning, she made him her, his favorite breakfast, which was fried chicken, and coated it up with cayenne pepper. Just loaded it with them. And then that was her revenge. But he loved it. So then, yeah, so right? So, like, she's all mad. She does this. He can't believe how good it is. He brings his friends over and is like, make more of this. <laughs> they all love it. He works on the recipe, kind of perfects it. Now, uh, Prince's is like the original hot chicken out of Nashville. And hot chicken is nothing new. I mean, there's hot chickens all over the world, but Nashville's is a little bit more specific. It is um, cayenne with, with sweet, usually brown sugar, but some type of sugar. And it's like, sweet is a very background note. And the heat, like, gets you on the top of your head. I mean, like, you eat it. I've had the triple hot before, and I was, like, my top of my head was hot and sweaty, but it was, like, slightly, oddly addictive. Like, I'm burning as I'm eating it, but yet I want more. Yeah. It's really messy. It's fantastic. Um, so that's been going around. Ironically, Schaefer says that the best Nashville hot chicken that he's tried isn't in Nashville. It's in L.A., which is surprising given how different the cultures are, but also as a signifier of how quickly and large the trend is growing. Well, I got to L.A., was I went to Nashville to do the work, and then I put, you know, checking everything across the country, and I check out New York, L.A., Chicago, like, probably about two times a year for each one. Chicago, a lot more close by. And last month, I was going out to L.A., I was doing, um, trying to see what's popping up, what, what's populating as far as what's new, what's exciting, and this hot chicken place kept popping up. It's called Howlin' Rakes. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go to L.A. and eat hot chicken. You know? So I keep kind of pushing it aside, doing my notes, and it keeps popping up again and again. So finally, I'm like, I'll go. I get there, I had to wait in line for 90 minutes to get a chicken sandwich. And people were getting in line behind me, and they were all excited at how short the line was. Yeah, apparently the line gets like four hours long. It's crazy. Well, four hours out of your day. You're going to waste four hours of your day for the sandwich. Are you going to get in line after breakfast so you can eat lunch? You know? And um, it was so good. Like, honestly, it was worth the 90 minutes I waited. It was worth it. I would have gotten back in line and got another one. And that's why we came back with this. So it's crispy. It's really hot. There's a little bit of sweetness to it. The comeback sauce is delicious. Comeback is like kind of a that yellowish or orange sauce. So it's kind of like an aioli. Nashville Hot isn't the only example of spicy and complex flavor blends that are on the upswing. There are also several options from around the world that are making it into Americans' kitchens and menu selections. So we're talking about like what's coming up and it's not just hot anymore. So like you got harissa, which is from North Africa. You know, it's not too hot with this global heat, but it's floral and tangy intense heats, brown spice notes, uh, tomato char. So there's a lot of different chars in Indian food. They call them pickles and the chars. So you've heard of Indian pickle and stuff like that. Um, sambal lek is really kind of probably, it's like the, the cousin to sriracha or the little brother to sriracha. Made with the same ingredients. It's kind of spicy. It's not quite as sweet as sriracha. Sriracha has a ton of sugar in it. Uh, maybe that's why it's so popular. It's sweet and spicy. Sweet Thai chili is going to be pretty good. Peri Peri is probably one of the next that I call my dark horse. Peri Peri is starting to populate really heavily right now. So this one right here is actually two years old. But it's still very relevant today because these are starting to pop up. Gochujang. Everyone was saying Gochujang was going to be the next racha. It is, it is all the flavor profiles that would be really, really make it really popular, but it won't be the next racha. There's just too many things in the way of it. Education is one. So people have to understand. They have to um, be educated about something to understand what it is. Like when you go to a restaurant and you say, oh my gosh, what's gochujang? You can ask the waiter. And the waiter can educate you. Or maybe you might even pull it up on your phone if you're talking about this. But if you're in the grocery store, like retail, you're going to go, I don't know what that is. And you're just going to move on to the next one. 
so the education process has to happen for it to be able to kind of live at the retail market. Or you have to be a gigantic company that's going to put resources into advertising about it. So go change is never going to happen because of that. It's going to struggle. It's going to hit the wall. People aren't going to be educated. Americans don't like to feel stupid. It's a very hard name to remember. It really is. If they called it Go Chew, it'd probably be okay. Schaefer's point about educating American consumers about flavors, where they come from, how they're used, and how to pronounce their names is an important cautionary note for smaller and medium-sized manufacturers that don't have a huge advertising budget. He says that these players really rely on restaurants and food service to educate consumers, but once they know about them, they're going to look for them at the retail level. It just might take a little while. Another big trend on Schaefer's tracking is barbecue, both near and far. On the home front, he says Americans are drilling down and looking for more regional barbecue flavors. Um, so American regional barbecue, now this kind of goes to why you said why Nashville, right? So, yeah. so people love to see barbecue. So when you think of barbecue, what do you think? <laughs> 90% of America, outside of the, the barbecue belts, think sticky and sweet. Tomato-based, sugar, they think Kansas City, Okay. But there's all these different types. So remember I was telling you about the um, Georgia Gold? Well, that's really a, a twist off the South Carolina mustard sauce. Okay? So there's all these different types of uh, sauces. For example, he's watching rising awareness about Memphis barbecue sauce, which, like Kansas City style, is still tomato-based, but it's thinner and has a moderate kick. North and South Carolina sauces are vinegar-based and blend in sugar and peppers, and in the case of South Carolina, yellow mustard. Alabama's white sauce is another one to watch, and it's gaining traction due to its unique blend of characterized mayonnaise, cider vinegar, lemon juice, and pepper. And finally, Texas's case on barbecue is gaining prominence, even though it skips the salsa altogether and favors a dry rub. A natural progression from American regional barbecue is growing interest in Asian barbecue. Yeah, from American barbecue to Asian barbecue, we love Asian flavors. We understand barbecue. It makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of data that shows that people want sweet, people want hot, people want savory. That's Asian barbecue. Sweet, savory, heat. Okay. Uh, the Korean barbecue is very popular. When you think about Korean barbecue, though, we're really spoiled. Okay. And then uh, the shasu, you have to have ramen. We got like that pork on there. Shasu. Everyone knows tandoori. Indian uh, satays are pretty popular. And then what you don't know, my dark horse, I love to throw a dark horse in here, is the Japanese yakinuku. The rest of the world knows what yakinuku is. <laughs> Americans don't know what that yakinuku is, but Japan is like something we understand. We understand sushi, understand ramen. This is not a far cry for us. In the next few years, you're going to start to see something like this pop up. It's almost like the brother or sister of Bogobi. Very similar flavor profiles, but they have more Japanese flavors in it, like sake, um, a little bit more like soy and ginger compared to the soda over here. Okay, a very very similar, great flavor profile. Um, I think you're going to see that probably next. I'm starting to see some retail pop out, but they're more ethnic. Like the companies are from different parts of the world, so you'll start to see us pop up. You may have heard of yakisobi, yakitori. Okay, yakinuku. They're all Cantonese grilled. My yakinuku is grilled meat. Yakitori is usually chicken. Consumer interest in Asian barbecue is also opening the door for other Asian flavors and curries, according to Schaefer. We're starting to go a little bit deeper into Asian. Okay, so Korean's going to be really big. Vietnamese is going to be a lot bigger. Um, Thai is obviously considered like one of the most flavorful um, cuisines in the world. 
and so we're opening up with the with the curtains, you know. And for the millennials, it's no big deal. They've, they've been eating Thai food for a while. Some of the older people are starting to eat it. Some of the younger people are starting to eat it. You're gonna get the green, red, yellow. Obviously, I mean, you get to see things like Penang and Masaman, which are maybe my two dark horses. And these are fantastic flavors, unbelievable. So much more depth than these three. But the name's a little odd, so people are kind of freaking out. Uh, these are brown spice notes, which I really, really love. This one does have brown peanuts in it, which adds a lot of flavor. Um, it's just a little bit more uh, toasted spice notes. They're just deeper flavors. Yeah, just more complex. And usually when people try it, they're like, oh my god, I love that one. You know, but they, the name's a little weird for them. So unless you got somebody there who can educate them, the server, they're not going to buy it. Yet. So these are a few years out, but as we start to branch off of these, we'll probably learn a little bit more about that. A little closer to home, more authentic Mexican flavors also are gaining traction with Americans as consumers gain more nuanced appreciation for what the cuisine has to offer. We want more than just salsa now. We want to know what type of salsa it is. Pico de Gallo is a type of salsa. You know, salsa roja. Very going to be very popular. Salsa verde. You know, these are all ones that are very popular right now. Ones that are coming up is like salsa guacamole, which maybe you haven't heard of, maybe you have. You'll see these at real authentic uh, Mexican places, or like salsa de mocate. Okay? Now, I, I can show you that it's gorgeous, it's great, tastes fantastic, but it's a roasted tomato salsa. So, you can almost, even now that we're ready, you can almost go too far. So, if you call this a roasted tomato salsa, you'd buy it, you would know what it is, you would know what it is, you would know what it is. So, you get this huge acceptance. If you go salsa de mocajete, you may not. So, sometimes you go a little bit too far, you know? But that doesn't mean that you need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You just got to understand. Great flavor profile. What are we going to call it? Uh, my dark horse is salsa, salsa barracha. Let's tell me about that one. That one is bitter and really fantastic flavor, and it's made for meat. Now, I maybe put it on here because I like it a lot, you know. Sometimes that comes out. Um, I'm starting to see some of these populate some of the higher-end restaurants. It's always paired with meat. This isn't something you can take a chip with and start eating it. But it's considered a salsa. It's made with tequila. So bolacha actually means drunk. And there's like alcohol in here. And it's just fantastic. That's my dark horse. But if I'm really being honest with myself, it's a slim chance. Probably the, the bigger dark horse would be the mocha hepe. Because that does have a chance. I think that has some strong... It's, you know, it may need to change the name a little bit to roasted tomato salsa. But it's a great, fantastic product. Based on Schaefer's observations and predictions, Americans have a lot to look forward to in the coming months besides just pumpkin. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to make sure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe on iTunes. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.